0: Joseph Conrad wrote, We live as we dream. Alone. But what good is a dream unshared? A vision unseen. We are thrown into an existence that is reliant on others for survival. Which is why when we are at our loneliest, it often feels like a kind of death. A slow decay of the human spirit. The engine that drives us to do something. To be something. To engage in this ongoing project known as civilization. It is why our punishments often involve solitude, a timeout for Jimmy, a solitary confinement for Sue. James Corey, a man tried and convicted of homicide, is experiencing a kind of loneliness that is out of this world. But he's about to receive a reprieve, a companion straight out of the Twilight Zone. As the man, the myth, the legend, Rod Serling, was using his uniquely rather matter-of-fact delivery to introduce each episode of his brand-new television show, The Twilight Zone, to audiences in 1959, a young man serving in the army was starting to write a song that would become a defining work for what would be an incredibly successful career. That young man was Bobby Vinton. And the song that he was starting to write, and that would eventually steal the hearts of many... Young Ladies, when it was eventually released in 1964, was Mr. Lonely. Quite a few crooners over the years have taken to the microphone in order to pour out their lonely souls. There's something universal about loneliness, something so terrible about its presence that we simultaneously use it as one of our greatest forms of punishment and protest its use for being too inhumane. You know, I was put in time out a few times in the early years of my primary school education. And although I'm a bit of a lone wolf, as the cool kids say, even I know that I'm a much better man and a much more fulfilled human being, having so many wonderful people in my life. But life is hard. As the cool kids, never mind. All right, I'll stop. I won't do that again. The odd thing about today is that people have access to each other 24-7. Through phones, social media, emails, even good old fashioned hollering at you from the next room. But even with all of this access, there's still this problem of loneliness. But what if we could do something about it without making a single change to our lives? What if we just allowed robots to become our friends, family, significant others, our misters and sisters built with transistors? In our episode, The Lonely, we're introduced to James A. Corey, a man who has been convicted of the crime of homicide and given a 50-year sentence as penance. The length of the sentence is not the most disturbing part. It's the location, the place where Corey will have to live out his time. An asteroid. Millions and millions of miles away, with no one but the hills and the wind to keep him company. Until Alicia arrives. Who's Alicia? Some would say a gift, and some would say a a curse. A mockery of the beauties that women possess both on the outside and on the inside. She also happens to be a robot, brought to Corey on a routine visit by a man of sympathy named Captain Allenby. As Corey learns to accept and even love Alicia, he also learns to accept his fate on the asteroid. That is, until Allenby comes back with news of a pardon. No one will ever be sent to an asteroid again. But because Allenby and his crew have been picking up all of the other asteroid prisoners, there's no room for Alicia. Corey can only see her eyes, her lips, her doting heart. Allenby is forced to remind Corey of the wires, the transistors, and the metal. Luckily for Corey, he's able to see the truth again and join the rest of the men on the ship back to Earth. But somewhere on an asteroid is a metallic angel, a woman or creature who was able to keep a man alive just long enough for him to get his life back. The Lonely is directed by Jack Smite, teleplayed by Rod Serling, and as for the cast, it's the great Jack Warden who does much of the heavy lifting in this episode, but the gold star goes to Gene Marsh, who plays Alicia. Marsh does a wonderful job of balancing the warmth of a human with a kind of robotic blankness. Absolutely perfect. John Denner plays Captain Allenby, and it features Ted Knight, who plays one of Allenby's crew members. Many people will probably recognize Jack Warden; He's a phenomenal actor with a lot of great credits to his name. He plays Juror Seven in one of my favorite movies of all time, Twelve Angry Men by Reginald Rose. Rose will actually pen an episode of The Twilight Zone, The Incredible World of Horace Ford. Gene Marsh continues to write and work even today. But you know what? I couldn't believe I missed this as I was re-watching the episode. Jean Marsh plays the main villain in one of my favorite films from my youth. Willow. Yeah. She plays Queen Bavmorda. Morda. How awesome is that? Look, I make no apologies for loving that film. Val Kilmer as Mad Mardigan and Warwick Davis as the titular character, it still holds up today, in my opinion, as a great transition movie for young kids to move them into more serious and scarier films. Marsh lent her voice to the 2022 Willow Show on Disney+, Plus, which was... very kind of her. Ted Knight, of course, would go on to have quite a career as well. Most probably know him from either the Mary Tyler Moore Show or as the uptight Judge Smalls in Caddyshack. I was introduced to him, however, through syndicated episodes of the show Too Close for Comfort, when I was about mm, seven or eight years old. To this day, I can't see the word Monroe without hearing it in his you know, exact voice. And now, just to tie all of this together with a nice, neat bow, it turns out that Ted Knight was the first ever guest on... Wait for it... The Bobby Vinton Show. That's right, as in Mr. Lonely himself. If I'm being honest, that was just a lovely little bit of Twilight Zone magic. I wrote the introduction to this episode prior to doing my research on the actors. Life is pretty awesome like that sometimes. The Lonely originally aired on November 13th, 1959. Martin Graham's Jr.'s Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic has quite a few interesting tidbits about this episode, but I'm only going to provide two here. I always recommend picking up Graham Jr.'s book and Zickrey's Companion. Our first little Twilight Zone tidbit has to do with language the DeForest Research Company sent some corrections to Serling regarding a specific line in the episode. When Corey reads Alicia's instructions, he says, For all intent and purpose, this creature is a woman. DeForest countered. Since creature refers to a living being, this line states that the robot has become a woman and thus is subject to moral laws. Serling, being the boss that he is, left the line as is, But it's actually kind of an interesting point for us to think about. I like the idea that creature means something different. It's just something extra to think about. The second tidbit has to do with where Serling got his idea for the episode. Serling states, This one was created from whole cloth. Again, triggered by the sense of poignancy that comes with loneliness. In Zikri's companion, he also has a lot to say about this episode. But I'll relay one story here. When Buck Houghton had to locate his asteroid, he turned to the desolate lands of Death Valley. Director of the episode, Jack Smite, remembers, The temperature was around 130 degrees. One day, the caterer very foolishly served a very heavy meal for lunch, and about eight crew members just dropped in the afternoon. George Clemens actually fell off the camera crane right into the sand. I thought he was having a heart attack. Because he was up on the crane, we were setting up a shot, and he just topped off. Ultimately, they had to move the scene to the MGM studios for the last few days because it was just too hot. And that sounds like a smart move to me. And it's always nice to read about people thinking of others. As for my initial thoughts on the episode, I love it. And it's only become more relevant with our progress in the fields of robotics and AI. I will say this something that hit me differently this time around was the scene where Corey is pleading with Allenby that he killed the other man in self-defense. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that I had never noticed the line before. It's that in some ways, the plea made it a little less complex than what Serling sold it as in the beginning. Let me try to explain what I mean. And I'm going to be upfront. I've rewritten this section a few times and it's still a bit clunky, but hear me out. Serling's announcement that Corey is a convicted criminal in his opening narration sets us up to look at this individual with less empathy than if he had said nothing at all. But with Corey's story of self-defense and Allenby's belief in his friend, it makes it a little easier to just root for Corey to get off the asteroid. Whereas if he were a criminal and we knew that he actually con- you know, committed murder, we as the audience would have to struggle a bit more with our morals we would have to ask some tough questions. Should he be on the asteroid? Does he deserve Alicia? I bring this up because even though we have loneliness and robots as our primary storylines here, there is also the important theme of punishment for criminals. And we're not going to do a really a big dive into that, but it is something that we should at least acknowledge, because it forces us to question what our goals are for those who break the law. Justice? Vengeance? These are not synonyms. They carry vastly different denotations and connotations. Anyway, like I said, we're not gonna do a deep dive there, but it's just something for us to keep in the back of our minds. So let's dive into question one. Should we ever grant robots human rights? Okay, some of you might know where I'm going to take this question, but don't spoil it for others. Let me lead us all there together. On February 14th, 2016, Sophia was born. Or perhaps it's more accurate to say she was activated. Sophia is a robot, a social robot, created to express human emotions and to induce us to be emotive back toward her. You know, I remember when Sophia was all over the news, and my first thoughts were, That is freaking creepy. Sorry, I am not the person that you want making big statements for history-making moments. Nope. Just to make it clear up front, I am not a proponent of granting human rights to robots, and I don't suspect that I'm going to change that stance anytime soon. It's not that I don't think robots can add value. Quite the contrary. I think they can become incredibly valuable for us. But the problem for me is... You know, I only see a further devaluation of human interaction by granting robots rights. We're already making it so easy to just never talk to a real human being again. Customer service is an algorithm. Shopping is all automated. Even ordering food barely requires a human being on the other end these days. At what point do we simply remove the human being from all of our interactions? After all, it's tough to deal with humans. I'm a married man. I spend a lot of my time doing my best to think about what I can do to make my wife's life a little better than it was the day before. And I fail miserably more times than she's willing to admit. Ladies and gentlemen, human relationships are hard and require actual work. You know, I'm amazed when young people think that we're lying to them when we say that. That we have to put actual work into our relationships. I think they get the sense that if a relationship is good or if a marriage is good, then it simply just works because you're perfect together. No! They require a lot of decisions, sacrifices, and moments of complete and utter failure. Followed by flowers. And Mexican food. At least that's how it is in this house. But with robots, I don't have to buy flowers. I don't have to put in work. I can literally be the absolute worst version of myself. And I expect my robot to still love me and do exactly what I bid it to do. And yes, I've changed my language and my tone here. Because, look, that's ultimately what it's going to become, isn't it? A kind of servitude, followed by dissatisfaction, and then, in the end, a return to loneliness. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, Joe, come on. We're a long ways off from all of this. You don't really have to deal with it right now. Actually, my dear friends, it's kind of already happening. In October of 2017, Sophia was granted Saudi Arabian citizenship. She's the first robot to receive legal personhood in any country. I don't think I need to say this, but I'm going to. I'm very much against it. Even if it's being done as a Kind of marketing ploy. Let's connect this back to our Twilight Zone episode for a second. By the end of the show, we see that Corey has already given Alicia full personhood in his heart. You might recall he continually shouts at Allenby at the end of the episode that Alicia's a woman! She's a woman! I can definitely see this becoming a problem in the future, where we can no longer tell the difference between the two but we can barely grant the actual human beings that we have on Earth now their human rights. Granting them to robots just feels like Pandora's box. All this connects nicely with our second question, so let's go ahead and dive into it. Can robots fill the gap of loneliness, and should we let them? You know, I know it's not a particularly well-liked film by many, but I actually enjoy the iRobot movie with Will Smith in it. And one of the things that I find to be fascinating about that film is how robots were integrated into the lives of older individuals as caretakers. Now, I'm not going to lie. There's something both a bit odd and sad about seeing that, even just in the movie. We seem to struggle today just to take care of ourselves and children. But we have an older population who deserve our care and consideration as well. People who help to create pathways for us to thrive or opened new doors for us to walk through where there previously were none. And even if they've not done something quite as poetic as that previous sentence may have sounded, they should still be afforded the dignity of human interaction as much as anyone else. So when I think about that scene from iRobot where Will Smith's like grandmother is talking to the robot, I can't help but feel a bit like we've failed somewhere in our evolution toward modern civilization. Now that being said, we still need to address this glaring problem of loneliness and our elderly population, and the iRobot future of using artificial companions to push back against the loneliness in our later years may already be here. Now before we get into our research proper, let's get a quick reminder of some chemistry, specifically a hormone known as oxytocin, or the love hormone as it's sometimes called. In fact, let's set the mood a little bit. I'll inch just a little bit closer to that microphone so that we can get that proximity effect. Oh yeah. Are you feeling that proximity effect? Can you dig it? I knew you could, hmm. Wait, stop, no, no, enough. I'm a professional educator, I cannot have enjoyment and learning happening at the same time. No, I won't do it. As previously mentioned, oxytocin is a hormone, and an important one at that. It plays a critical role in our reproduction. But it doesn't simply end there. Oxytocin is produced by both men and women, although women tend to produce it a bit more. It's an important hormone because it helps us form meaningful bonds with each other, the kind of bonds that help Stave off those terrible feelings of loneliness. In a very recent study by Imamura et al., scientists looked at the oxytocin levels in people from South Korea who had companion robots and those who did not. And here's what they found Quote, The results reveal that the steady state concentration of oxytocin, a hormone related to affiliative relationships, was significantly higher in owners than in non-owners. In addition, the owners showed more behaviors indicative of intimacy than the non-owners. These results suggest that humans can build affiliative relationships with robots. 15 minutes of contact with the robot decreased the concentration of cortisol in both groups, suggesting that even a brief contact can contribute to improving mental health. Therefore, relationships between humans and robots may be one option to improve mental health and enhance well-being. End quote. Okay, so we've set the stage chemically, but what about the mental health side of things? What about the question of whether or not this can actually help our elderly population? Well, we're starting to make connections there as well. In a 2022 article by Othelia Lee et al., entitled My Precious Friend, Human-Robot Interactions in Home Care for Socially Isolated Older Adults, researchers wanted to look into whether or not Hiadol, a companion robot, would be a viable option to help with elder care and mental health. And here's what they found in their study. Quote, The most common aspect of utility companionship reported by all participants was Hyadol's role as their health coach who reminded them to take medication and to exercise. Participants also found pleasure in playing with Hyadol and reported reduced feelings of loneliness. In the absence of other social supports, all participants also regarded Hyadol as a surrogate family member or human friend and interacted with Hyadol as such. End quote. So, something that stood out to me with these studies is that if you know anyone who has to take a fairly significant amount of medicine on a daily basis, the idea of a robot companion who can remind someone to take their medicine and also to continually promote healthy engagement with the mind, you know, neuroplasticity, which is incredibly important, is promising to say the least. However, again, there's a part of me that feels a bit like this exposes our own cultural failures. I don't know, maybe I'm being too hard on us? I admit, I'm torn on this one, quite honestly. So if you have a strong opinion, let me know. Put it in the comments or send me an email at show at gmail.com. Coming back to our Twilight Zone episode, it's pretty clear that Alicia provides Corey with both social companionship and stimulation of the mind. You might recall when Allenby first arrives in the episode, Corey starts to scream with delight, and he immediately takes out playing cards and sets up a kind of makeshift checkers game. Now, there are two really important reasons for this. For anyone who likes playing board games, you'll probably agree with this next statement. The best part of playing them is really the social interaction that comes with it. I played board games growing up, but I married into a real game family. And yes, they are a competitive group of people. But you know, they also realize that it's a great opportunity to just sit together and experience each other under the banner of a common interest. But that's not all that it does. It also helps to keep our mind sharp. You're not simply playing the game. You're often testing how well you know the people you're playing with. And also you know, basic human approaches to competition. At the midpoint of of the episode, they show both Corey and Alicia playing checkers. And that got me thinking about something else. We're very much concerned about AI learning all about us, but there is something to be said for us learning from AI. We should be learning ways to think about humanity and science that we haven't thought of before, within reason, of course. And I do believe that probably most, at least, of the professionals in that area, that's really what they're concerned about. It doesn't mean that we, you know, shouldn't still have our concerns, but there is something to be said for learning, for, for seeing how AI sees us through that particular lens that they have. So will robot companions solve our loneliness problems and should we let them? Well, yes and no. They can clearly provide a type of companionship, you know, something to listen to us vent about life. They can remind us of important events and help us regulate our medicine. And they can create sites of mental stimulation, which is very important. But I'm not so sure that it won't end up having the same effect as social media. Social media connected us to millions of people, and we've never felt more alone. I do wonder if robotic companionship won't produce essentially the same thing. Which means, at the end of the day, it's still going to have to be up to us. And you know what? We should take on that responsibility, willingly and with love. Where did you find your moment of awe? Something that moved you or inspired you to think beyond the surface? Seeing Alicia on the floor with her face shot off That left me in the state of awe because it must have been horrifying for Corey to see that, to so immediately be brought back into reality. You know, I think this scene could have gone horribly wrong in the other direction. And I could see a retelling of the story today where Corey grabs the gun, shoots Allenby, and then has to go back to an asteroid because he did kill someone. And it wasn't out of self defense, it was what he believed was. In defense of the woman he loves. Yeah, I think I could see that being kind of a good way to update the story for today. But I don't think that it necessarily makes it better. I just think it gives us kind of a a newish ending there. Another aspect of awe for me was when Allenby told Corey about how it was difficult seeing him each time he visited. That made me think. It probably was difficult. To do that job, you'd have to balance giving enough humanity to constantly remind these people like Corey that they're human. But you also have to keep in mind that they've done something wrong, and they're technically paying for their crimes. That would be really difficult for me, to try to balance those two things. So where do I rate this episode? I would say this is middle-upper tier for me. The acting is great, the writing is quite good, And the thoughts that come out of it are wonderfully complex. I have a feeling that it will become even more loved and appreciated as the years go by. We've got a real treat next time. A genuine classic. We'll be discussing time enough at last. And here are your questions to consider as you watch. Question 1. Why do we seem so interested today in stories that involve the almost complete destruction of the species? Question 2. Undoubtedly, Bemis is a character who has our empathy and our sympathy. But should we be laying more blame on him for his difficult life and even for the final outcome of the episode? Oh yeah, we're going there. And finally, what are your moments of awe? So that's the end of the episode proper, but I'm excited to say that I actually have a few messages and comments to bring into the show. And I thought about where to place this section And I think toward the end is probably best, after the primary part of our episode. Hopefully that proves to be the right place for it. Now, I'm not afraid to try new things and fall flat on my face. So, with that confident introduction, I've started to add some additional fun little elements to our experience in the hopes that it will spark some additional interaction and community building. I'm a teacher. I can definitely talk for hours on end. But I think we all know that just hearing one voice and one opinion specifically over and over can get a little tedious. And trust me, a little dark truth here, one of the reasons why we love to just, you know, get students to talk so much is because we become bored with our own thoughts and our own voices. So this really is about us sharing ideas and, you know, continuing to build this relationship that we have, this community of Twilight Zone fans. So I've started to dabble in a bit of a social media campaign. Now, this will only be able to be seen by those of you who are either subscribed to the YouTube channel, which you can find by going to thekeyofimagination.com, or for those of you who are subscribed to my ex, or formerly known as Twitter, account, which is at key of i show. I hope I've got that right. Look, to be completely fair and to be completely honest, I don't really do social media that much, so... Here's something that you should know about me right off the bat. You're not going to get hot political takes. I have no interest in my own political ideas. I don't expect anyone else to have interest in my political ideas. So if you want to give this a, a chance and you want to subscribe to the YouTube channel or the X account, which again is key of I, at key of I show, you're not going to get anything from me in terms of politics. So let's talk about what you will get. In addition to getting updates and messages from me, you'll also get trivia questions, Twilight Zone hypotheticals for you to chew on, and a Guess the Episode game where I give you two pictures and you have to guess what Twilight Zone episode it is. Now on the YouTube channel, Scott has already got a couple of the Guess the Episodes correct. So good job, Scott. Nicely done. He's both a friend of the show and a friend in real life. So Scott, I appreciate the support, man. Thank you. So if you're interested in getting a bit more out of the experience of the show and maybe, you know, talking with other people more and helping us build the community, consider subscribing to the YouTube channel or following me on X at Kyivai Show. I hope that's right. Now, if you prefer to just get the episodes every two weeks and enjoy having only the listening experience, I completely understand, and I appreciate all of you who have hit the follow-slash-subscribe button on your various podcast platforms, and for just listening, really. Thank you. Now, I received my first comments recently on the YouTube channel, and I want to give them a shout-out. Susie Ride commented, Brilliant! Excellent thoughtful writing, in regards to my 16mm Shrine episode. Susie, thank you so much for that. You're never quite sure if anyone is actually listening. More than the compliment itself, which is more than I deserve, it made my day to just see positivity come out of the audience. Thank you for that. And I want to be clear, you should definitely feel free to push back on my commentary and disagree. That's a healthy part of conversation. But, and this is important, for those of you who... Start to become regular contributors in the comment sections, and I hope you do. Understand something important. You will be the ones who sculpt the community. You will set the tone for how others follow. You know, I always say we want to build a community because it can't just be me. It has to be all, or at least most of us, who decide what we want our community to be. How we want to talk with each other. There are plenty of spaces out there for people to be rude, cruel, and even downright mean. But can we build the greatest community of people who love the Twilight Zone and want to have a space to discuss it, to disagree and then have a a drink on the same day? I believe we can. But it's going to be you first 10 to 20 people who start to routinely chime in with comments that will be the ones to build it. What I can do is... My best to do my part. Okay, so I hope that went well, or at least well enough. I look forward to adding more comments and even, you know, listener feedback as well as we move forward. In the meantime, head over to thekeyofimagination.com to continue our conversation. You can rate this Twilight Zone episode, learn more about me, watch previous episodes of the show, and check out my Curios page where I showcase some of the Twilight Zone trinkets I've bought over the years. I encourage people to email me thoughts and comments, whether it's about a particular Twilight Zone episode, your rating for an episode, or about the Key of Imagination show. You can get those to me as a text email, an audio clip, or even a video clip of roughly no more than five minutes to keyofimaginationshow at gmail.com. Keep in mind, we're trying to maintain a family-friendly atmosphere. If you would rather I not use your comments on the show, please indicate that so I can respect your decision. If you enjoyed the show, I ask that you please take a moment and do one of the following to help build our community. Rate the show, review the podcast, leave comments, thumbs up, all of the usual algorithmic gymnastics that will help us get the show in front of more people and help us to build our community of Twilight Zone fans. However, even if you do none of that, and absolutely hated every minute of this. I would still like to thank you for spending some time with me. Until next time, remember, all doors are open to those who possess the key of imagination.